Hello and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. And the Sacred City Life Podcast is all about following Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life. And this is going to be another Theology for Everyone podcast or the segment of the podcast. And we're going to talk about God. It's about time we talk about God. But before we do, um, I've got two of my residents here. And who do I got with me over there? Joel Bickford, Deacon of Worship. (laughs) Yes. And I've got Kevin and Alex here with me and Bryson is on paternity leave. I had another baby boy. And so he's out home right now learning how to switch from man-to-man defense to zone defense because this is number three. So congrats, Bryson. Uh, But before we do, um, one of the things that pastoral residents and Joel, Deacon of Worship, and usually Pastor Sam from Moline, one of the things we do every single week is we sit in my office and we have what we call an air war meeting where we talk about uh, the sermons from Sunday, we talk about the podcast teaching, we talk about all of the well, our air war, so all of the sermons and the content and the curriculum and the teaching that's going out. And so we're going to let you in on that little meeting this morning, so that's or this afternoon, and so that's what we're going to do, um, as we always do with Theology for Everyone. It's a little more laid back. We don't really have anything prepared. We've got uh, our pocket Westminster confessions and our Bibles, and we've got a, a cigar and something to drink, and so we're just going to be chopping it up. Um, and we do that, so if we make any mistakes, we can just say, oh, whoops, we weren't prepared. <laughs> We're not heretics, we just weren't prepared. Uh, but let's start off, guys, and um, just any thoughts? It was a different Sunday morning this week. Uh, only about a third of our church was able to show up because we were providentially hindered from gathering. Wicked weather, cold, super cold and rainy, and so we had to put the sides in the tent, and we had to gather together uh, under the tent. And so... A little bit different, but um, text was, blessed are those who are persecuted, right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and speak evil against you falsely on my account and for righteousness sake. I forgot to say that part. I'm just going off the top of my head. And uh, your reward will be great in heaven. And so it was kind of all about blessed are those who are persecuted this week. So any, any thoughts? Well, I was really thankful for the spirit and how, man, I showed up to Sunday and got here at 6.15 in the morning to do setup, and it was cold and it was windy and my attitude was just, just terrible, just absolutely terrible. Um, not thinking about the things of God, you know, not thinking about... The immutability of God. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm just like, how can we... You know, I just wasn't in a good spot. And so it was right about a point in your sermon where you were talking about how Jesus was ultimately the persecuted one and he died a persecuted death. And it just convicted me in the moment (laughs) to, uh, again, just thankful for the spirit and how he was like, Joel, you didn't even want to stand up here because it was mildly cold out and worship this God who stood in your place, um, persecuted in your place, um, died in your place. And it was just convicting and 
just made me want to get up and, and, and worship. Um, and so just, I'm, you know, some, some Sundays you walk away and you're like, you're more, you're more chewing on the gospel throughout the week. And how does this apply to my life? And it was like, no, you need this right now. You're, you're a sinner in need of grace right now. And here is that grace. And, mm. and here's this Jesus. So that I was, and that's one thing I was just super mm. um, thankful for in the sermon. Mm. It's really cool to hear you walk out some of the kind of, um, I, I guess, modern um, what persecution looks like today. Because yeah. I'm, you know, when I think persecution, I think people being led away in chains and yeah. beheaded. But we don't really see that <clears throat> so much here in America. Um, and so just getting thinking about, OK, you know, there are some. that um, still applies to us as Christians in this context and just kind of how that looks different and how in those moments we still look, of course, to Jesus as the ultimate um, persecuted one. Yeah. And, it, and not necessarily that it, it looks different, but we just need to see that persecution is a spectrum mm. because obviously in the text, blessed are you when, when they revile you, yeah. which is just be, get angry at what you say and mm. just be aggressive towards you and, slander you and say bad things about you um you know and um so just say say ugly stuff about you i mean that was how he, obviously they did that to jesus all the time so mm-hmm. that's a piece of persecution that maybe we it's just not on our register mm-hmm. you know um you say you you tell a person you know in a kind like a friend you say tell a friend that it's not going to go well for them and god doesn't approve of them living with their boyfriend and they walk away from you and they say you're judgmental mm-hmm. and you feel like a loser. You feel like, oh, I must have been a missional failure. Mm-hmm. Well, no, they might just be rejecting Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're persecuting you. When they walk away, they are walking, they're walking towards persecution. Mm-hmm. They're persecuting you in that, in, in that instance because they want you to say something that Jesus doesn't say. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a form of persecution. And that's probably going to be the, the primary way most of us are persecuted today Mm. is by the religious and the irreligious saying something that Jesus says or doing something that Jesus would do and then walking away from us because Mm. they don't like it. I think too, it's just like so hard to walk away, you know, and it it hit me a lot of times because a lot of times when you're, you know, being, I guess, you know, like you were saying the example with the boyfriend and you're, you know, saying these gospel centered truths about what scripture is saying and then they want to run away. You want to chase them, and then you want to, you know, justify or, or say why you said what you what you yeah. said, so that you can love them through that. But it's then you kind of start to beat yourself up a little bit because, like you said, it's like that that you're, you're failing because you feel like you're trying to uh, give the gospel and you're yeah. trying to be loving, and then they just walk away. So yeah, and it's I mean, there's a balance there, obviously. Mm-hmm. But how many times do you see Jesus saying something? straightforward, yeah. a person walking away sad mm. or upset mm. and him going after them. Right. He n- never does. Now he mm. tells the story of going after the one lost sheep, yeah. but that's not the one angry saint mm-hmm. who's ticked off over your political views or whatever, mm. or your, your interpretation of scripture mm. that you're supposed to pursue every person that gets a, uh, a bee in their bonnet. Yeah. That's an old, old saying <laughs> I just pulled out of there. Um, but yeah, but it's hard sometimes just to say the truth and then just let it be. Yeah. It's really hard. You want to go back. You think it, there's a way I could say this that's going to yeah. 
help that's going to make sense to them and they're finally going to repent and, and, you know, throw ashes on their head and come back and be restored to the community. And sometimes it's just not going to happen. They're really not interested in following Jesus, even though they say they are. And even though in some sense they think they are, they show by their actions they're not. Remind me of what was the C.S. Lewis quote that you had towards the end? I think it was about the rejoicing piece, maybe. He says, anytime, basically, anytime you're going through suffering or persecution during this life, we say things, and, and atheists say this all the time, God can't be good because look at the suffering in the world. And, um, and when you're going through suffering, you say, there's no way I could get to heaven and like heaven could make up for this. This is just too difficult, too broken, too hurting, too hurtful. Um, and Lewis says, not, we say that not knowing that heaven once attained, will work itself backwards and turn even suffering into glory. And I use the kind of just the analogy off the top of my head of anytime you're in football or anytime you, you know, two a days or you go through Navy SEALs, Bud's training, and it's, you feel like you're going to die. You feel like they're trying to kill you. The coach hates you. The instructors hate you. And then you get through it. And you make it through, and it might be take a while, but then you look back and you kind of even laugh at it, and you glory in it because it was so bad, but you made it through, and it made you into a better person. It made you into a different type of person. Mm. Now, this doesn't just, um, you know, anoint or baptize all suffering because all suffering isn't uh, good, and sometimes, and suffering can destroy us, and suffering can cause us to hate God, and so. But suffering can also be the pressure that puts upon us that turns coal into a diamond. Mm. And so so that's kind of, um, yeah, the mentality of the Christian is I can go through persecution because, one, Jesus said I was gonna, it was going to happen. If I'm really a Christian, it's going to happen, so I can expect it. And two, um, it's laying up for me treasures in heaven. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to make heaven better. Mm-hmm. So... Bring on those negative emails, baby. Yeah, I was gonna say Just you're making kind of deposits. Bearing, you're kind of burying your own soul about this year, and the you know because you have to be uh, vocal about the truth and um, you know <laughs> equal opportunity offender for both sides. And what is the, what does the way of Jesus have to say? And taking heat for that. I don't know how did that feel for you to do that or have to do that or to be able well, to speak to that sort of persecution. Honestly, I was very nervous about it. I didn't know if I was going to do it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't, and I actually, Doctor Alex texted me later, like on Friday, um, which he really shouldn't do because it's my day off. But Alex doesn't really care about me very much, so he still texts me questions and stuff on my day off. Um, and so he was texting me, and so he was, he was just asking me about because the the way Jesus went from blessed are those to blessed are you, and he was just asking me because he's preaching next week. You think he's like talking specifically to the disciples so he's talking specifically to like ministers and pastors or do you think he's talking to everybody and i was like i think it's both and i think it's pastors ministers preachers we're the tip of the spear but the whole spear is going to get persecuted you know what i mean so we're going to take the brunt of it and the disciples are going to take the brunt of it and jesus took the brunt of it but everybody should be getting persecuted if you're not getting some sort of persecution then you're not walking with jesus Mm -hmm. bottom line if you're so uncontroversial that everybody likes you, then you're not a disciple of Jesus. Yeah. And so, but I make it, part of my f- philosophy of preaching is 
to bring myself into the sermon as little as possible. So I don't tell that many stories about myself. I don't make myself out to be the hero of every story. Uh, you know, I, I, oh, I was struggling with this, but then I believed this and now I've conquered it. And so I'm so awesome. I try to make it about the text and make it about Jesus and not distract with my own stories and stuff. So I don't know if I've ever talked about pastoral suffering or the way that I suffer or the burden I carry or any of that. Right. But I felt like this text kind of demanded it. And so, and I didn't say much. I didn't give any details or anything. I just said, uh, I get a lot of emails and a lot of, uh, you know, accusations and people call me names and, um, and it's not all the people that I'm a mission to at the gym. It's not my atheists, uh, socialist dudes that I'm rolling with at the gym who, who are godless. And they're the ones asking me questions and pulling me aside. Um, it's uh, people that are supposedly Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And it's been that way a long, a long time, you know? Mm. My whole life, I've been hurt more by Christians than non-Christians, mm-hmm. for sure. I just think it's so good, too, that, like, you could you bring so much out of the text, you know? It's a lot of times you, you feel like you're in a, alone going through a struggle or going through burdens or whatnot, but, like, Jesus isn't just telling us this. He's living it out. He's walking the walk. He's just not t- telling people, like, this is how you should live. He's actually living it out, and then you're bringing that out of the, the text of how we should live. And I just think that's a just a great reminder. Mm-hmm. Cool. One of the most thought-provoking things in the sermon and the study of the text for me was just the fact that <laughs> here's what to expect if you live the Sermon on the Mount, where in my mind I have the exact opposite. And in my mind, I'm like, if I can live the Sermon on the Mount and I can be meek and I can be poor in spirit, and I can be mourning, and I can do all these things, then I'll be, that everybody will like me, and my life will go well. Yeah. And it's like, and the very opposite. The last (laughs) one, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. If you do this, you will be persecuted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he shows us. All through the Gospels is him being persecuted, Mm -hmm. and the disciples being persecuted. And then you get into the the epistles, and you see Paul being persecuted, and everybody's getting persecuted, and eventually all the disciples get killed. Mm-hmm. You know, you get killed for their faith. Mm-hmm. So persecution should be a normal part of being a Christian. And I think it it humbles us. It pries our fingers off the things of the world. And um, it helps us focus on eternity and what's of eternal importance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, I want to say it didn't end in a very, the Beatitudes didn't end in a very happy spot but it has a vision. It gives you a vision for that with, you know, great is your reward mm-hmm. in heaven, which it is a huge source of encouragement to say there's something on the other side of this that's we can't even comprehend um, that God is preparing for us. We're in one of the, <clears throat> one of the only epochs in human history, maybe the last 60 years, where we aren't really, in America, we haven't really been forced to think about eternity Mm -hmm. and to find hope in eternity Mm -hmm. because it's been so easy. It's been so comfortable. Mm -hmm. Our wealth has been increasing up and to the right. You know, like we've had wars, but we're dominating these wars and the wars haven't been that as catastrophic as World War I, World War II, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but I think we might be moving into a new season where it's going to be, more normal for the everyday Christian to experience persecution. Mm-hmm. You know, you see it in politics. You know, Amy Coney Barrett, when she was 
before the Senate Judiciary Committee, not, not this last week for her nomination, but the last time one of the Senate Democrats said, um, talking about her faith, her Catholic faith, that the dogma lives loudly within her. Mm. Which is basically saying, oh, you're one of those Catholics that really believe what the church teaches. And we're afraid of that. Mm. And in the history of America, you know, religious, conservative Christians, um, that was just seen as the good life. That was seen as what morality was. That was seen as honorable and good. And and now it's seen as a threat. Mm. Somehow it's a threat. It is a threat. It's a threat to the sin of abortion. That's what it's a threat to. Right. It's mm. a threat to the sin of autonomy. It's a threat to, you know, to... Uh, the, the, the lie that we're sitting here alone and we can make up our own rules and we can make up our own and, and we're not accountable to God. But um, So I think we are stepping into more than likely a season of, of greater persecution, whether it's political, you know, politically from the top down or whether it's just our neighbor who's just like, causes a bigot because of, you know, what he thinks about us, even though he doesn't maybe know our, more, know our beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Yeah. So blessed are the persecuted, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So that was that. All right, well, let's move into uh, this theology for everyone. Let's talk about chapter 2. Now listen, I would encourage everyone to get one of these Westminster Confessions of Faith. Don't just get a digital copy. Get a little hand copy. Find it on Amazon. It's got the scripture proofs written there with you. If you struggle on what to do with your kids, maybe at dinner time, um, Devotionally, this is a great thing to work through devotionally. You could maybe listen to our, this podcast and have a little theology in your back pocket and step it in there, and they're gonna make you're gonna you're gonna pull out some big words and be able to make your kids think that you're a you're a, a great theologian, <laughs> or maybe just an armchair theologian like we're we're all trying to be today. We're not gonna. This is a big chunk of text, full of big words. We are gonna read it. And then we're going to break it down. But again, we're going to skim the surface. Every one of these words, um, if you pull out a the, uh, systematic theology, you're going, to see, you're going to see sections on every single one of these words. Mm-hmm. And you can study these words in greater depth. So, But one, I'm really stoked to start chapter two of the Westminster Confession of Faith on God and of the Holy Trinity. Now, buckle up because you're about to get you're about to sink your teeth into a luscious, like two and a half inch thick steak, baby. This is a good one, all right? And that is what God is. Mm-hmm. He's got depth like that. Here we go. There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit. Invisible, without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, most most. No, I just put that one in there. Preach. Working all things. Alex knew where I was going. Come on. (laughs) Preach it, brother. Work in all things according to the counsel of his most, of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, 
gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him and with all most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin and who will by no means clear the guilty. Wow. Is that all? That's a mic dropper. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know if he was going to preach a sermon or whatever. Now, here's the deal. When I say the word God, is that definition what comes into your mind? Mm, That's good. Mm. We are so freaking surface level level and shallow in our conceptions of God. Mm. And so this is why we need the Westminster's divines to say, ho, 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 when you say the word God, don't, it ain't something whimsical, it ain't something light, it ain't something flippant. Let's put some words to it. Let's yeah. put some depth to it. And so let's, let's go, we're going to kind of go line by line, phrase by phrase, word by word through this. Okay, let's start back at the beginning. Um, and Alex, if you can, or no, who had Deuteronomy 6.4? Okay, right hold on one second. Let me read this one. There is but one only living and true God. Deuteronomy 6.4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, so this is called the Shema in the Old Testament, one of the most important foundational scriptures in all the Old Testament to the, to the Jews. There is only one God, our God, one. So there was pluralism throughout the world, polytheism throughout the world, and, and Judaism came and said, nope, there is only one God and we know who he is. He says, one only living. So God is not a philosophy. God is not just an idea. God is not a concept. Mm-hmm. God is living, a living being. Mm-hmm. And true God. Who had, do you have Jeremiah 10 10? Yeah, Jeremiah 10 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and everlasting king. At his wrath, the earthquakes. And the nation cannot endure him. Ooh. I had to pause there. I didn't know. Yeah, that's good. Just say it one more time. I want to read that again. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earthquakes at the, and the nation cannot endure him. All right. That's it. God is the only living and true God. Now that right there is controversial today and age. Mm-hmm. That's the claim of exclusivity. Uh, there is no no other gods but our God. Every other god is worth is a worthless idol. That's how the psalmists say, and we we profess that in our profession of faith quite a bit. The God of Allah is no god at all. Uh, the God of Buddha, no god at all. The God of just fill in the blank. Everything else is worthless idols. Now, there are spirits and there are lesser, lower G, evil spirits, things like that, but there is only one living and true God who is infinite. Infinite means, so it says infinite in being and perfection. Um, did somebody have a Job scripture there? That was mine. All right. That's Job 11, 7 through 9. It says, Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? 
It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. God is infinite in being and perfection, without limit. God is everywhere. You cannot get away from God. You can go to the highest heavens. You can go to the lowest hell. You cannot get away from God. And he's infinite in being. That means his, he is here right now. He's, we would say, omnipresent, right? That's another word you could say it. He's everywhere. Okay, now it's not pantheism. That means everything is God. It's not mm. what he's saying, but his being is everywhere and holds all things together, right? So God is without limits. Come on, man, I'm about to worship. <laughs> and perfection. His perfection is infinite. So there is nothing lacking in God. Nothing. He's perfect in being. Oh, I don't preach. A most pure spirit. So, let's, I'm going to read this, because, uh, this whole line because this can be confusing. God is a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions. What are you, what's your thoughts when you, hear, when you guys read that? Well, when it says without body, I'm thinking like, well, what about Jesus? Right. <laughs> what about Jesus? You know, because Jesus, God in the flesh. And so this is starting. We're going to, the third part of this section, we'll get to the specifics of the Trinitarian nature of God. Sure. But this is talking about God in his original essence. Mm. So before anything was, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit existed eternally together without body. Most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions. Uh, speechless. <laughs> speechless. All right. Like, so, how can, I mean, I just go back to the Job things. Like, what, what do you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that is so... It's like I almost have a more of a motive feeling towards that than I do like a comprehensive thought. Okay, yeah. Uh, like that draws wonder out of me more than it does like I need to figure that out. Good, yes, yes. Okay, so let me talk about it. Most pure spirit. First off, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are spirit. God is a spirit, okay? Invisible, you can't see spirit. God is everywhere all at the same time and you can't see him. God is not in heaven and, and, and then the earth is, or he is in heaven, but he's everywhere. He's not just in heaven, like he's in some little cubby hole up in heaven yep. and the world runs without him, right? He is without body originally, without parts, which means God is God all the way through. Mm. Mm. He's not, he doesn't have, like we have a nose and an eye and an ear and we have a liver and we have all these different things and and we're made we're a collection of parts, right? He's not like that. He's the same all the way through. Mm. Okay? God is God all the way through. All the way down. Mm. Right? There's no weak parts, there's no you can't separate him. He is 100% God. Okay? Mm. 
So he's without body, parts, or passions. Now, this is a word that we don't use too often. But basically, in the scriptures, we see that God, how do I say this? God, the scriptures help us try to understand God, and they say things like, God gets angry, God gets grieved, God gets sad, God gets all these things. But what, what, what the divines are trying to tell us is God is the same all the way through, and so he's not overcome by any emotion. Hmm. So like when, he, when, you see, when you read about the wrath of God, God does not get red-faced and throw his hat on the floor and kick and go punch a wall. He, when he's pouring out his wrath, he's doing it in peace, in patience, in kindness, mm-hmm. in meekness, in love, in complete control, yeah, in complete self-control. for him to separate a piece of his nature from another piece of his nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I get mad half the time, I lose my mind, right? I lose mm-hmm. peace. I lose my self-control. And so I say something I shouldn't say or I lash out or, mm-hmm. or I grip my teeth. My passions are ruling me mm-hmm. in that moment, right? Yeah. God does not have passions in that way. His emotions do not work the same way our emotions work. Like they can get out of control and, yeah. and run us. That's not the way God's passions work because he's the same all the way through. He's the same all the way down. Mm-hmm. Okay? He's immutable. Somebody tell me what that word means. It means he's unchangeable and unchanging. Yes. Mm -hmm. Great. That's a great definition. Perfect. He does not change. So again, that's why passions, he's not like, you know, sometimes he's mad, sometimes he's happy. No. God is always God. He's always perfect. He's always perfect. Mm. I'm getting uh, messages and I can't get get them to stop on my watch and it's really bugging me. So I apologize for this long, awkward silence here where my missional community dudes are texting me. I'll insert some, like, elevator music underneath this. (laughs) (laughs) Stop texting me! I can't even put my... Call him out. He might might be listening. He's he's stuck in a group text. (laughs) I I am. I'm stuck in a group text. And I literally can't even push do not disturb on my watch because I'm getting so many links sent to me and memes. Okay, here we go. Uh, He's eternal... Oh, I'm sorry. He's immutable, so he doesn't change. He's immense. Anybody want to work for a definition there? Immense? Hmm. Being kind of, um, I, I guess, without boundaries. Ooh. There aren't limits to God. Yeah, I like that. Without boundaries? I think, is it Grudem talks about he is in all things, but not contained by all things. Yeah, it's good. He's immense. He's 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 huge. He's great. He's bigger than anything you can think. You can get your wrap your mind around. When you learn, go learn about the solar system and the galaxies and the universe or universes. And God is bigger than all of it. He's in. Yeah. He's in it all. He's expansive. Yeah. When I think about his immensity, I think about the fact that, well, I think you've said this before. I've heard preachers say like. When I'm trying to come up with an analogy, especially for the Trinity, well, you should just probably stop because you're not going to find one. But it's like when you're trying to find something that's analogous with God, 
you find yourself at a loss for words or every analogy breaks down. Because I think of immensity and I'm like, oh, I think of the sea and how they find a new yeah, creature in the sea every single day. But it's like God's even, well, like Job said, deeper than that. Yes. Yes, that's great. Yeah. Eternal. So there was never a moment that God wasn't God and God didn't exist. <clears throat> he is the uncaused caused. God always has been. He is eternal, so he, ne he always will be the same. He always has been incomprehensible. Now, that can be confusing because you can think, well, if he's incomprehensible, then why even try? <laughs> and it's not saying you can't comprehend some things about God. It's saying you will never get to the end of him. You can never. The only person that could wrap their mind around God would be God. Mm. You have to have God's abilities to be able to understand himself, right? Only the Spirit understands what's going on with the Father. Well, that's God. God understands God. The Father understands the Son. The Son understands the Father. The Spirit understands them both. So you have to be God to be able to wrap your mind around God. But there are some things that we can know. But this is also why we needed that first chapter on the Scriptures. Right. Mm -hmm. Because God is incomprehensible, so we'll never know God fully uh, or, or completely or correctly unless we, he reveals himself to us specially through his word yeah. you think that's uh why we always like every time we read scripture we can read the same um uh, verse we can read the same chapter and for some reason we're always getting something more and more and deeper and deeper out of that text and for some reason you're like i feel like i just read this but i'm getting 15 yeah. different yeah. other things that's coming yeah. out you know? for sure man yeah for sure yep yep <clears throat> he is an eternal well of knowledge and information and, you know, yes. Almighty. So he's all powerful. And listen, if he's almighty, there can only be one of him. Yeah. If you're almighty, if you're more powerful than anything else and you have almighty in yourself, there can't be two gods. There can't be multiple gods that claim that. There can only be one almighty, right? So again, a claim of exclusivity. And this is where he goes... Uh, this is where the, the Westminster divines go African-American pastor here. Yeah. When they just start, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute. Ha! That's Preach it. Preach it. I'm <laughs> right here. I'm hearing it. Because you don't, I mean, they just add the word most there. But nobody's got more wisdom than him. He knows everything. Most holy. He's the source of all holiness. He is holiness itself. He's separate, distinct, pure, most free. Oh, that's it. And I thought that was interesting. Most free. What do you think it, what do you think that means? There's nothing holding God back. There are no no limits to any any factor of him. Nothing holds him back. Nothing can confine him. That's mm -hmm. good. Nothing can hold him back. It says here, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will. Mm. Nothing can stop him. This is why I think it's absurd when people think that humans can somehow thwart right. God's plan. Right? The next political party, the next whatever it is that any human being, even a person like no you you can't 
stop God's will. Yeah. And if God wants you, he's going to get you. Yeah. Right? If God decides he's going to save you, you will be saved. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I just like even just a practical from yesterday, just if it's God's will for his own glory and for his people to worship him, like yesterday, it was like the elements were against us. COVID-19 is against us. There's so many things stacked against, and it's like well, God's God's mission and his freeness to be able to execute that mission. In a sense, we had saw a microcosm of that yesterday. That's, that's yeah. amazing. And that's exactly what you experienced in the moment. It was like, this is crazy uh, that, that God is, yeah, he's executing And it's one will. of the reasons I said, listen, because the, the options were, oh, man, it's really cold out. It's going to yeah. be 39, windy, rainy. We're in a tent. The tent can only seat like 200 people. We've got 350 people coming. What? Uh, okay, this is not good. Do we just shut it down and do a live stream and then I preach to a handful of people and people watch it on the live stream? Or do we just say, you know what, God's in control of this whole thing <clears throat> and let's just put the sides in the tent. Who can come can come and let's just gather and let's just do it. And trusting God's sovereignty, he knows what's best and those who can't gather with us, they can watch it online. But the people that are like, I need to gather. You know, like some weeks, you know, you feeling pretty good. You had a good week. Maybe you don't. I mean, I think we should all do it every single week, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Some weeks we're like, I'm feeling, I'm feeling okay. And some weeks we're like, I need the gathering. Yeah. I need God to speak where I can actually hear him and not my kids are need breakfast and I'm in my pajamas and we're running, you know, all that junk. Mm -hmm. And so we did it and it was absurd in a sense. Like it's freezing cold. It's dark in the tent. And then there was something divine about it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think it was from the the call to worship on and the pastoral welcome. And I think it what, just to nerd out on my, my I guess, the worship leader side of me, what fires me up about a, a, a Sunday gathering and a liturgy is I'm not going to get anywhere else in my week this palpable feeling that my eyes need to be drawn up off of myself than in those few minutes at the beginning of a gathering. And I feel like that that's kind of like what this is doing. This, this is like a, almost like a doxology in this, yeah. in this confession where he's just oozing over who God is. And that's like, that, like, that's what we do at the beginning of every one of our worship gatherings. Take your eyes up off yourself. God is getting our attention. And that's exactly what happens. So, yeah. yeah. This, this whole, <laughs> this whole chapter could be called God is everything you're not. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what holiness, that's what holy means. He's, where we have limits, he doesn't have limits. You know? And my daughter, Piper, um, she looked at me, um, I think it was right after, it was right after the gathering, and she, she looked at me and she's like, Dad, can we do this for Christmas Eve? <laughs> 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 like, they all knew, like, this is something different. It's something special. It was something, there was something sacred about it. Yeah. Um, and it felt kind of old school in a sense of like, no, nothing glamorous. Mm. You know, you got no heat. You don't have good weather. You know, it just felt so, there's something sacred yeah. about it. It was, it was, it was yeah. unique. So yeah. it was pretty cool. All right. Working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will. God does not consult his creatures when he wants to determine what is good and right and true and mm. what needs to happen in the world. Mm. God counsels himself. 
God meets with the Trinity and they decide what to do. He's got it all. He's got all wisdom. Okay. Now, um, so the, to the counsel of his own immutable and most, most righteous will for his own glory. So God's end goal of everything is his own glory. Now you might say, that's arrogant. That's what kind of being would just want his own glory? Um, the immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute. Here's the reality. If he's the greatest being in all the universe, what else would he think about? Mm-hmm. Other, his own glory. Because yeah, yeah. he is the glorious one. Yeah. So he, that's why he brings glory to himself, because he is before all things. Yeah. Maybe one thing, I have a question. Um, I feel like a common thing you'll hear at Sacred City, whether that's in a missional community gathering when we're praying or a prayer during Sunday morning, we usually end a prayer for your glory and for our good. Mm. Those two things, I think we put them together in a prayer because they're so, they seem so juxtaposed. Like if I'm just so for God and how, how is that for my good? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like that kind of answers the reason why you would buck against this God who's just seems like for his own glory. Yeah, so I, I either say for, for for your glory and our good or for your glory and our joy Yeah. because those two things are inextricably connected. Yeah. We were created to glorify God and that means we find our deepest satisfaction, our deepest joy, our deepest good mm. in glorifying God. Mm. And everything we do that brings glory to God promotes good in the yeah. world and mm. brings joy, ultimate joy, to herself. Joy yeah. the world can't take away. Yeah. Goes on. Most loving. He's agape himself. Most gracious. Gracious. So he looks upon our status. He knows our frame. We were born in sin. We are in a desperate situation. And yet he get, he he sent his own son to live the life we couldn't live and die the death we deserve. He is the most gracious God. There's no other God. C.S. Lewis in a room with guys com- uh, debating world religions and they're you know, smoking and drinking and all these guys were, whoa, this re-. they were trying to debate all the, you know, what makes the religions unique and distinct and what makes Christianity distinct from all these other religions. Aren't they all kind of the same? And Lewis kind of stepped out of the room and he came back in and they were all arguing and he's like, he just cut right to the course. He's like, oh, no, no. What makes this all unique? Easy. Christianity has grace. Mm. No other religion mm. has grace. Yeah. And grace ultimately is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Most merciful. So he doesn't give us what we deserve, just his wrath. He is most long-suffering. Another word we would say is patient, but God suffers with us. Can you imagine, if you're a holy, perfect God, how difficult it is to love us? how easily we just want to forget about him and his glory and his mission in the world and we just want to do our own thing and yet he consistently pursues us and gives us mercy. He is most abundant in goodness and truth. Hmm. He's forgiving iniquity, sin. Transgression or iniquity, transgression and sin. He is the rewarder of them 
that diligently seek him. It's a direct quote from scripture. How does God reward those who diligently seek him? putting our theologian's hat on, hat on right now, guys. That's what that long, slow pause is. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to say the, the, the greatest reward is God himself. Mm-hmm. So by bringing us to him, by bringing us in him, um, what better reward could there be for anything? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I I woke up this morning in a typical Monday morning kind of way and just kind of, ugh. <laughs> what is this week going to hold, you know? I literally don't, don't know. And, uh, and so, you know, woke up, go to the scriptures, and I f- and flowing out of the scriptures gave me words to pray. And I was um, impressed by God with, like, I would not have had these words if you had not shown me yourself. And then now I get, to, now I have words for my soul to express it. So mm. that's a gift um, mm. that I can't manufacture, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a reward in and of itself that I I can commune with him, you know? So those that seek diligently seek him, he he saves. He doesn't turn us away, Mm -hmm. right? Right. He gives us his word to comfort us and to direct us in the moment. He gives us an awareness of his love, a warmth in our heart, uh, um, an evidence of his grace. Mm -hmm. These are all ways he rewards those who diligently seek him. Now, if you're not diligently seeking him, you might be saved, but you might be miserable mm-hmm. and you might not get any rewards. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're laying in bed all day and, you know, you're, you're not reading your Bible. You're not praying. You're not gathering with believers. You're not coming to the gathering. You're, you're, you're disregarding all these, these uh, means of grace that God's given. Then you're, you're not diligently seeking him and therefore you're not, you're not going to be rewarded. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Any other thoughts? I just think community, you know, a lot of times, um, even right now, there's a lot of people that can't gather. There's a lot of people that are not gathering. There's churches that are going down and, you know, we're still here and we can be in community with one another and call each other's sit out. But I also give grace and um, point you to the cross with truth and love. So I just think that's really good. Yeah. All of those ways that he rewards us when we diligently seek him. And with all most just and terrible <laughs> in his judgments. Now that, we probably don't hear, we hear God is most just, I hope, that God is just. He never does what is wrong. He always rewards those who seek him and he always um, gives out punishment to those who don't seek him, right? That's what he does. <clears throat> so he's just. He punishes the wrongdoer. And he lifts up those who've been oppressed and stuff. But what does it mean that he's most terrible in his judgments? I feel like that's some sort of old English way of, of speaking. Uh, like we probably don't have a, a modern interpretation or a very good interpretation of, in our you know vernacular of, of what that means. I, I feel like it is when you think about God and his law and standing before him as a judge, uh, especially outside of Christ, you are, te- it's terrifying. It's a terrifying idea uh, because he is so holy and he is so perfect. 
And then when you look at yourself and you see the chasm that's there, it's like, what can I do? I'm terrified. Okay, so you're right. Old English. Mm-hmm. Where we get the words um, <clears throat> terror and terrific mm-hmm. from. There you go. And the original, so what that meant was, you know what a terror is? A shake. Mm. You're like a tremor. Trembling, yeah. Like mm-hmm. you're trembling. It makes you trim. It makes you tremble. Mm. That's that's literally the definition. So, God causes you to tremble. Now you can that can be in a terrible, in our modern vernacular, terrible or terrific. If you've ever given your kid a gift, the the one gift that they wanted or whatever on their birthday, and they're just shaking and yeah. they're just so happy yeah. they can't contain themselves. That's terrific, right? But then if you're ever standing before a judge and your future hangs in the balance, mm. you're probably trembling in a different way. Mm. And I think the writers here are meaning terrible in both senses. Trembling before God in awe and trembling before God in absolute fear. Mm-hmm. That if the weight of our sin were to come down upon our head, yeah. we would spend eternity in hell. Yeah. Right? Hating all sin. So God hates all sin. So mm. um, <clears throat> our hidden sin, he hates it. The sins that our culture says are good, sexual morality, God hates it. Divorce, God hates it. Um, specifically says it. I mean, I could go on and on. God hates all sin. I was looking at helping Ben grade some Porter papers last year. You, I was surprised at how many Christians had a hard time comprehending the fact that God can hate something. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, they say it pretty plainly here. I feel like scripture's pretty clear that if he, if he is so fiercely for his own glory, he would, I think how you explain it, God has to, to, to love something truly, you have to hate the thing that would attack that love. Yes. Um, I feel like that was a pretty clear, uh, a pretty clear thing that Christians should understand what's, I don't know. I feel like there's a question in there, <laughs> but no, that's good. I think that's that's a, we just need better definition. Like, mm-hmm. how could if God's love, how could He hate? Mm-hmm. If you love something, you hate anything that would destroy the object of your love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, right. And what does God love most of all? Himself, His own freaking yeah. glory. Yeah. And so, anything that comes against His glory, He hates. Yeah. And sin is a direct reproach to the glory of God and the good of his creation. And who will by no means clear the guilty? Thoughts on that one? So, obviously the word clear says he will by no means clear the guilty. It doesn't say he will by no means justify, <laughs> right? And, and what, he's, what we're getting at there is to clear the guilty means to let the guilty go unpunished. Yeah. And Jesus, God will not let the guilty go unpunished because he's most just. And so thereby, what does he have to do? He has to satisfy his justice mm. in some way. So he has to pour out his wrath on the guilty in some way. Well, how do, So here's the gospel in a nutshell, that Jesus... The, the perfect one takes the place of sinners 
absorbs and receives the wrath of God. So God pours out his wrath on the guilty. Mm-hmm. So I'll say the elect, the, every single person in time who has ever received Christ as Lord or whoever will receive Christ as Lord, the elect, their sins were placed on Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ took those sins to the cross and he absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf and he paid the punishment that our sins deserved. And so thereby God justifies the Christian, those who put their faith in Christ. He justifies us and he gives us the righteousness of Christ. So there's this great exchange. We put our sin on Christ and Christ puts his righteousness on us. So that's not clearing the guilty because mm-hmm. God satisfied his wrath. He satisfied his justice in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But for the person who thinks, well, you know, I'm just a pretty good old boy. And God, when I get to the throne, almost, you know, I, I hope my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Well, they don't. <laughs> there's no, there's not even a chance that they do. Yeah. Um, and God will not clear you. The only way you can be cleared is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's through just the work of justification of uh, Jesus I think it's one of the most clear and interesting proofs of a desire for God that people have and that they express is this desire for justice that seems so fleeting in this world because we all see an injustice and we say, well, this needs to be fixed, you know, and, mm. and that, that doesn't come from nowhere. Yeah. Uh, it comes from the fact that we were created Imago Dei and so we have these these pieces of, of God's nature within us that say, yeah, justice is needs to be satisfied yeah. one way or the other. Um, yeah, so it's a t- it's a terrifying idea that God will not clear the guilty. Yeah, but it's also it's because He's God. Yeah. He's most glorious. He's most just. He's most true. He's most holy. Mm-hmm. And to clear the guilty, He would deny Himself. Mm-hmm. He can't do that. All right, that is chapter two. Our God is the one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection. And here's the, when you read this, you realize if this God is real, then there could be no other gods. No other God could be infinite because there would be limits to one, one of those guys would have limits. You know what I mean? So you, you can't have more than one God. And so just philosophically, just logically, just intellectually, you see how, this God in Scripture is unlike any other God in any other religion because He is the one true, living, real God. Mm. And we get to serve Him all our days. Yeah. And we get to worship Him. And we get to be a part of His mission. Mm. And that is a glorious truth. Amen. Christian, I hope this was a benefit to you. I hope this was a blessing to you. Um, we're enjoying this. And... Um, I pray that you would take this and maybe pass it on to somebody else. If if you enjoy this podcast, please share it on whatever social media you're still on. And uh, hopefully it brings some comfort to you. Uh, We love you and we hope it serves uh, you and helps you walk uh, with Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Stop texting me.